Hey, welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Batch. I'm Julia. And I'm Becca. We're best friends and lifelong Star Wars fans, and this is a Star Wars The Bad Batch fan cast. In anticipation for season two of The Bad Batch, we are doing a rewatch of season one and talking about our favorite parts. We will be reliving the best moments and offering narrative analysis from our point of view as artists and writers. This review is meant to be spoiler free, so don't worry if you haven't seen season one, you can watch it along with us. We'll be releasing episodes every Tuesday and Thursday on iTunes and Spotify starting August 9th and continuing until the release of season two this fall. Well, without further ado, let's get into the first episode. Alright, so I wanted to talk about how we are going to be analyzing these episodes. Yes, let's start off doing With some this. some <laughs> important context uh, from us. Um, so, as we mentioned, we are writers and artists uh, analyzing stuff like Star Wars. Uh, specifically, the show Bad Batch is, is a particular favorite pastime of ours, but... Um, we like going about analyzing in like a particular way, I would say. Um, and how I see it as a designer is by understanding story uh, to be designed inherently. And especially in a, a format like animation and a medium like animation, where everything has to be really intentional. Everything is created. There's nothing really like natural going on, right? Because it's 3D animation. It's <laughs> it's nice to see and, and sort of take apart all of these pieces that make this thing tick and understand like how we're getting to this like incredible story. Obviously we've watched Bad Batch before, so we do know we've where watched, it's going. Yeah, we've watched <laughs> Bad Batch and Clone Wars and I wanted to make this distinction that Clone Wars is a great show, uh, but just the way that it functions and the way that it is put together, like I guess sans the last couple seasons where you have yeah. these like bigger like three, four five episode arcs where like it's a really self-contained story um dealing with like a handful of characters rather than a whole like it's star wars and it's the clone wars um bad batch is really unique in that it's an animated show but it's a very like what's the word like we're getting like a full story here it's oh, not just yeah. little it's vignettes. Not vignettes yeah yeah which clone wars obviously started as and, yeah and kind of retained that style and not saying you can't analyze clone wars in, in this way like obviously you can n- narratively analyze anything um truly <laughs> and, and and you know yeah you can analyze the design of anything um but this show is unique in that it is from start to finish a whole story yeah rather than vignettes it, it follows a, i i guess i would say a more traditional story yes. arc or multi-level story arc um and it is, I, I don't know, it's so fun to like look into, obviously, because it is, it's like everything we love about Clone Wars, which obviously we love, uh, but it, it gives us so much more. Let's talk a little bit more about animation and intentionality in that, because yeah. um, I do like looking at the character um, arcs, the uh, sort of large narrative arcs here, um, but you have to talk about the medium while you're doing that, right? This isn't a book. This isn't a movie. This isn't a live action show. It's an animated show. Yeah. Um, and with that comes in, in inherent intentionality because you're not working with like, for the most part, you're not working with human, the human factor in, yeah. in actors um, where, you know, there might be a certain mistake that they made or, or didn't or 
something that you like the audience might be able to read into and try to analyze and ultimately get nowhere because it wasn't like intentional it was yeah it was a bit of a fluke on that person's part yeah yeah um but animation is obviously different than that and you can kind of uh analyze to uh to a fault (laughs) yeah to to a wild degree i would say how uh specific little tiny things like background animation of characters like how that plays into the story and what's crazy is obviously and it really does in this show i was gonna say we've seen this before the amount of small things right that there are which obviously we'll be making note of as we go along but like uh that points a lot to story it is an intentional thing put there by the teams that make these shows or this show in particular um and and honestly it makes analysis kind of like an incredible joy um there's it's, a lot to work with. Yeah, I was going to say, it's very faceted. Not only do we get the, the classic narrative and character analysis, but we get these um, bite, bite-sized little pieces in the episodes to show that. And, and you can see them really stretching through episodes, too, um, as we'll, we'll get into it. but We will. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, just to sort of sum it up, we'll be analyzing this through the lens of story being our goal, right? Um, and, and even beyond that successful story being the goal. So how does every part in, you know, character animation design, background design to writing to music all help push us towards that one goal? Does it push us towards that one goal? Is and a good then question the too. added question, of right. is it successful or yeah. did it miss the mark? Exactly. Why don't we just get into what the actual structure of this podcast episode is yeah. going to look like? Because this is a long episode. It's 75 minutes to uh, save you all from having to listen to just like us talking about uh, shit for, for like two hours. Yeah, straight. <laughs> um, we're going to have a structure here. Um, and that structure is uh, we're going to get into the context for the batch. Who are they? Where have we seen them before? Um, we're going to talk about the three plots that we're analyzing that we've kind of picked up on. And then we're going to get into some story beats um, and plot points in this episode because it's a lot of setup, a lot happens. Um, This is going to be a two-part episode. And part two of this episode, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of character analysis, themes, um, and then some talk about design uh, within this episode. (laughs) Because again, there's a lot. This is a long episode. It is. is, And it is a meaty episode. I was was literally about to say it's incredibly dense. It is. Um, So that's kind of our structure. So you can keep track with us. um, So it's not so random. (laughs) Um, Okay. That being said, uh, let's talk about the Bad Batch. Who are they? Where have we seen them before? All right. Oh, the Bad Batch. Uh, (laughs) Debuting in the show that we were just talking about. They showed up originally in Clone Wars Season 7, which aired, I believe, in 2020, the last season did. And they were in the the first four episodes. Um, But how they are introduced to us there is like a little different than how we end up seeing them here in their own TV show. but essentially, the the TLDR, the the cliff notes on them is that they are a group of defective clones, but like with purposeful genetic defects mm-hmm. to make them enhanced in some way. And they do follow these sort of archetypical characters. Yeah, I was going to say they all they all have sort of a an archetype, a thing that they have. Right, Wrecker's very very strong. He's the largest of the group. Tech is very smart. Crosshair has incredible eyes, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a sharpshooter. He's a sniper. Um, he's very, very good at that. Very calculating. 
Um, Hunter has enhanced senses um, and is kind of the de facto leader of the group. Um, And in the season seven episodes at the end of their run, they mm -hmm. do add another member, which is Echo, the ARC trooper who we saw throughout the entire run of Clone Wars. um, Yeah, not an original member, but he does join the the group. He is back and not better than ever, (laughs) but he's trying. He he joins because of um, a traumatic life event that happens to him (laughs) and that he gets killed and then revived and then became a human computer for the techno union. Um, love those guys um <laughs> but yeah he's he's kind of a cyborg now yeah so we that is the setup we have going into the first episode of the pilot of bad batch their own show um like i said they do change quite a bit we'll get into that so um, th- those are our main players um we have sort of t- speaking for plots now okay yeah we have sort of come up with three separate plots that are happening our a plot our b plot and our c plot um, for this series, our A plot is essentially the Bad Batch as a whole figuring out how to survive in this world that seems to have been turned on its head. They're just kind of figuring out how to survive in this changing world. Um, our B plot is basically the divide that happens between Crosshair and the Batch in this episode. So that's our B plot is really Crosshair and um, his shenanigans. In his shenanigans. Uh, and our C plot is. Uh, kind of the undercurrent of what the empire is doing. It's just taken over. It is a nascent empire, um, and it's trying to uh, strengthen its grip on the galaxy. So yep. we see a lot of really interesting and new ways that it's doing that in this show. Yep. That is definitely a a theme with us in our conversation is how does Bad Batch understand what Star Wars has done before it and flip it on its head to give us a new perspective? Yeah, because usually, I mean, in the in the original trilogies it's very much good versus evil we got to stop the empire um and we do get that it's still star wars um it's still that flavor but we we get to see it come to life in littler places in smaller storylines um and, and and that's interesting uh because it's not so big picture as yeah. it is in the movies as we like to talk about not everything has to be a big fucking deal <laughs> It's it's an important thing to remember, I think, as, as writers and creative people. It serves a purpose, and Star Wars definitely is the the zone where that can live. But like, it not it, we've done it so much in Star Wars, yeah. we've seen it so much that like it is such a treat in a way to be able to see like a a small the small groups of people here mm-hmm. who still live here who still have to deal deal with these huge yeah. ass things that happen. I'm being reminded of like a a quote that I see floating around Pinterest or Tumblr. Sure. Um, and it's basically like writing advice or like, I guess any kind of creative story advice. Um, but it's basically like if your big, uh, like if there's a big thing happening in your story, like a war or something like that, you need to reflect it in like the little things. Yeah. So it's not like, Oh, this battle was won or this battle was lost. It's, um, you know, like, how it's, does that ripple effect? It's it's people? seeing a, a a burning doll left in a village, you know that you kind of get this idea of like how Is it's that affecting a cheeky little Mulan reference. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's literally in that quote somewhere, but I do think of Mulan That's every like time I hear it. Specifically a Mulan reference. for sure. I mean, I'm it's, sure it's all I could elsewhere, think about. But yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, right? yeah, it's absolutely. Like, the bigger the thing that is happening, the 
the more the smaller the stories you need to be telling yeah and i think obviously bad batch does like an incredible way of telling small stories that we previously haven't seen in star wars yeah absolutely sounds like maybe rogue one but we see it in, in uh, little bits and pieces in Rogue One. Yeah. Not necessarily like it's not the whole movie. It, it's a treat to have a show that lets yes. like all of that breathe really well. Yeah. Okay, should we get into the actual nitty gritty story beats? Just the plot points that we see in this episode. It's a lot. I was going to say, we are going to take the time that we need to with the the big stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. sure obviously we will in, in the background talk about everything that's going on but there's so much happening that we want to make sure that we're doing this in like a concise way yeah we want to lay out the the plot that's happening in this so that when we get into character analysis it's you know bearable to listen yeah (laughs) we have a bit of a structure yeah okay let's get into the very beginning so we open in an incredible way which um uh, for, again, for us Clone Wars fans, is like such a little treat. It really felt like like Dave Filoni and all of the crew of this show were just like, this one's for you guys who grew up with the Clone Wars. We love you and we see you. <laughs> they're on stage. And this they're is like, a gift. Dedicated to this you. This one's for you. Yeah. yeah, what really gets me is the the red Clone Wars logo yeah. immediately. And then we get, you know, the Admiral Yalaran Vio well, explaining. It bur- yeah, it burns well, it out burns into to the, the Bad, Bad Batch, Batch logo, right. which is great. Um yeah, so it's all of that Clone Wars nostalgia mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah, this is the first and only episode that we get a classic Clone Wars Correct. Admiral Yolaren uh, narration over, um, you know, the context of what they're setting up in this episode, the first scene. And again, be. immediately to bring in what we talked about analysis into this, obviously that's what we're here to do. Um, it, it's so nice to be like, I love that they did, they did this just for the first episode, mm-hmm. right? It has so much... Um, I mean, we talk about this and it's in our notes, but like it has so much uh, good, like heartwarming vibes to it of Mm -hmm. like, you know, this one does go out to you. We understand that there are people who grew up with Clone Wars, who loved Clone Wars, who are here because they love this format, right? Like this is for you. It's to make you feel at home, right? Um, And then then, just the cruel, cruel thing they do to (laughs) us and what they portray. I literally wrote it here before ripping it away and delivering us into the cruel hands of Lady Fate, which is exactly what the fuck happened. They set it up with like, you know this, it's familiar. Settle in. It's jaunty. It's And then they're like, no. They're like, actually. It's actually very very bad i think there's roughly five minutes of of fun before we get immediately into the sort of like world ending scenarios in a lot of ways our experience watching the first this first five minutes uh very much mirrors like our main characters the batch and that their world gets flipped on its head and they are very confused very quickly um familiarity is ripped away we don't have that structure anymore this is a different thing uh, okay, so opening with, right, we have Master Balaba and her Padawan, Caleb, mm-hmm. who, quick context, we have seen before uh, as an adult is is Kanan Jarrus mm-hmm. um, from Rebels. Um, so yeah, we, we get to get introduced to the Batch again uh, as Caleb brings them in. Yeah, so Caleb is kind of responsible for the this introduction of the Batch that we see, which is very different from our Season 7 introduction. Like, keeping in mind, we we knew these people are, we kind of get, like, a second impression with them yeah. in this. Um, uh, but basically, Master Balaba has sent him for reinforcements. They're in a losing battle. She's expecting, you know, another battalion of clone, regular clones. Regular normal boys. <laughs> <laughs> um 
and she doesn't get that. She gets five uh, really, really special ones. Um, Fucking rip shit ass people. Yeah, but they they come. She's like, where are the reinforcements, Caleb? And he's like, they're coming. Don't worry. And she's like, I shouldn't have trusted like a 13 year old with this. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, but they, they come down basically like on this on this like avalanche kind of like through the tree they're on a snowy planet right and so um i don't know if you see trees falling or if it's just like a big i legitimately think they are just fucking running down this hill yeah um but it is like kind of emphasized by the snowfall and they come in and they absolutely just decimate this like battalion of droids um that the regular clones and master blaba and caleb have been um fighting against for a while it seems uh and we get to see specifically their um, kind of talents and their little personalities because yeah. they are, they are. I mean, Clone Wars does a really good job of painting that like every clone is unique and they're, they're still people and they have different hairstyles and tattoos and, you know, they differ from each other. But um, this is just like a personality explosion in such a little moment that yeah. is so good. Um, like we have Tech coming in and he's like planting uh charges on the droids and then he like kind of runs through them and then blows them all up and like wrecker comes in and like pushes tanks off of a cliff crosshair is like does not does not run in with the rest of them because he's the sniper and you know he does his job from that angle um and we just see the a really magnificent scene of them all coming in and being unapologetically who they are yeah it has a nice way of like, I, I don't know, I've said this at some point, but like uh, it has a nice way of like starting us right with Clone Wars with a familiar format and being like, yes, a, a Jedi and a Padawan like, oh, yes. And then like immediately doing like effectively a camera whip to like, no, no, no. But these are the bitches that you want right. to be looking at. And it's so different from when we see them introduced in season seven, um, because we we essentially they're side characters in, in yeah. those episodes, like they're, four episodes. They're not the main characters. Um, and so because of that they kind of just get like verbally introduced we don't immediately see them in action yeah um we kind of get more of a a concept of them as a group they're kind of the rebels they're kind of the bad boys yeah we get like some some context from cody right because like because they're being set up as um not foils but as a sort of like a a differentiation between the, the the regs right um so it's really, really good to see them introduced in this really spectacular, victorious way. It's very, like, explosive. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, but, like, it's it's just fun. And, like, I really love, too, that um, after the commotion dies down, Master Balaba is like, hey, Caleb, like, who are these people? And he does a little introduction for them, and I love that it gives them each a shot. Like, we were talking about this the other day. It just feels like uh, like a 90s sitcom with, like, an introduction, <laughs> right, where it's, like, the characters. I, I And, it like, we get to see a little bit of their personality, and it gives... It gives gives this show a levity i think again which is broken in about five seconds but like it it does set it up in a way that feels like good to watch but i think the like concept of this kind of levity within this group continues and then it all comes crashing down (laughs) um yeah so we get introduced to them uh i i love i love the juxtaposition of master balaba basically sending caleb with them um to go uh after more droid battalions um and it's this it's this like heroic victorious like yeah i get to go with these cool guys and like i just saw them taking an entire battalion like i want to be part of that and so they're running they're going and then and then we see order 66 happen from quite a unique angle that yeah. we don't usually see it from I, again we've seen order 66 from like every everywhere you know and even now i think with 
yeah, with the Obi-Wan show that just came out, right? Like we have so many of these perspectives, but so often these perspectives are mostly from from Jedi Masters. And even in a way, they seem kind of like third person. They seem very uh, wide in their view of this sort of tragedy. It kind of like became so tragic because of the amount of people that were being killed in Order 66. And what's really interesting about this, and like we talk about with you know, Bad Batch taking Star Wars and, and flipping it on its head is that like we get to see this super tragic event from the perspective of a child, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we as the audience are pulled into it so yeah. much more than like it's portrayed in the prequels where it's just like the, these kind of wide shots of a bunch of clones yeah, shooting exactly. their generals. Um, yeah, so it, it's interesting to see essentially, you know, Master Balaba pretty immediately get overwhelmed by her clones and like how, also how quickly you know this changes mm-hmm. right like they they go from being you know joking and you know the regs are there and everything is normal to immediately a switch flipping obviously and and master balaba is is gunned down mm-hmm. to which point caleb turns around and sees and is obviously horrified yeah. and wants to go back and help her and it, it's just i love that we don't see master balaba getting shot yeah. like we do in the prequels um, because, like, I mean, that's a terrible thing to witness, but, like, it's it's so much more haunting in that we only hear her screams as she is quite yeah. literally only outnumbered. Like, she's a Jedi master. She's an incredible warrior, but she is cut down simply because of the numbers, of, you know, and it's so much yeah. tragic because, like, well, th- they were her soldiers. Um, but it becomes we, a lot more, like, intimate of an experience. Yeah. Um, we, we don't see her getting cut down. Um, we see Caleb witnessing her getting killed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's just such a like a, a drop, such a panic in that um, that is so, yeah, it's so different. It's so intimate. It's a different way of seeing it than we usually do. It's again, it's it. I mean, it, we just talked about this, but the the if you're going to do something big, paint it in a small in a small yeah, way. Absolutely. It's exactly. And that. it is like it has this almost like operatic tragic quality to it, it right? operatic is a great word right like I, I think and I again I think this is something that we've seen in Star Wars before but it's so fascinating seeing it from like what I would say is like the most tragic angle of like someone seeing their mentor their parental figure in a lot of ways like get gunned down by their friends right uh, and being powerless to stop it right and and Master Balaba's last words are like Caleb run mm-hmm. right like someone giving their lives for you right and you see it on his face mm-hmm. uh in the quick switch too from like we see the clones start to attack her but we yeah. see her um shouting her, and then her death in in caleb's eyes basically mm-hmm. um it really pushes forward like this show is um set up by this event and like everything that happens after this event is uh is what the show is about but the show is not about this event yeah. specifically um and it, it just do a really good job because they, they give us, they don't give us like this grand happening time. Like there's not a moment to mourn it. We're immediately pushed into the next thing, yeah. um, which is they, they waste no time getting back to our main characters. Yeah. But they have a way of like, obviously integrating them into this insane thing that just happened. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, uh, Caleb runs off obviously because he's around clones and he's like, Hey, you guys just like killed my master. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave. And they obviously follow after him. Um, because as we're seeing the bad batch, their inhibitor chips don't activate. Right. right. Like uh, also, can we talk about really quickly? I just realized they never at any point are just like, Oh, hmm, we're not killing people anyway. Like we get into inhibitor chips and that sort of talk later. They don't waste any time here explaining that away. They're just like, well, obviously we're not affected. And there's a kid here who needs our help. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they, they still are retaining their yeah. goodness in a way, which is, is fun to see in our protagonist so early on. Yeah. I think it also serves to um, put a further uh, stake between them and the regs because yeah. they're not, I mean, the Gregs, are, the regs are used to the Gregs now. <laughs> They're all called Greg. Um. <laughs> Every clone now is named Greg. <laughs> it's like Cody. <laughs> um, excuse me. The regs uh, are used to having generals, commanding officers, giving them orders. The batch is very much like a, a, a special ops team that's sent in when they need something specific done or, you know, yeah, like a really difficult challenge. I like Black Ops. Yeah. This next scene is set up because Caleb runs off and then the batch is not understanding what's happening and it sets up this uh, um, parallel where, not parallel, but um, it sets up basically Hunter and Crosshair being isolated from the rest of the group where Hunter sends Tech, Wrecker, or Tech and Echo to go try to find out what's happening. Um, He sets up Wrecker to uh, watch for any more regs um, that come that way and he and Crosshair go to look for Caleb. Um, and so they're isolated. Um, and it's really early on we get to see these lines being drawn between individual batch members. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of this shot when when Hunter is essentially giving them all the instructions to do these mm-hmm. things. Uh, it's it's like Hunter, Tech Wrecker, and then Crosshair and Echo, and then Crosshair is um, in the very uh, foreground in the very foreground, and he's blurry, um, and the rest of them are. are uh, in focus yeah. um, and it's such a small thing but immediately it's setting up this next part where it's hunter and crosshair alone looking for caleb which is yeah. when shit starts going down it is wild obviously in in hindsight of all of us here who have watched this episode now um uh, understanding how early and how quickly lines are drawn right that we're creating valleys right between characters as is our b plot right um and i love when they do that visually that's a obviously a big thing that like we talked about a lot in art school so it's fun to see it obviously in practice so blatantly and used so well yeah i was gonna say they 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 thread this thread in so easily that you don't even i mean you don't even have to be good at analysis or really thinking about analysis for these things to subconsciously affect you while you're watching this and that is uh i mean the most glorious thing about design what i love about design is that it is giving you signals even if you know it or not right and Mm -hmm. then like what it what makes it so fun to go back and analyze these things is like because you can see the like where people had their mark in these things and where they understood how they could continue to tell their story how we could achieve incredible story in such small ways including you know these like little visual choices it could have really easily just been the four of them all lined up, right? Yeah. And it's, we did this, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so Hunter and Crosshair are off looking for Caleb. This is when we start to see Crosshair, the only member of the badge so far, uh, well, in this episode, that starts struggling with his inhibitor chip. It seems that everyone else's chip didn't work except for Crosshair. Um, so they, they find Caleb a couple times. Crosshair tries to shoot him. Hunter is understandably just like like, what are you doing literally what the fuck sir yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but while this is all happening i i did notice this when we were watching it the other day um there are like slightly like mirrored but slightly off shots of both of them where Mm -hmm. like crosshair is like behind hunter slightly the left he's still out of focus like it's very much i mean they these two are set up as foils yeah as we'll see but um 
it's so well done the way that they do these things um this this part this mm-hmm. scene in particular is like i think such an uh, astonishing i don't know setup to everything that comes hunter and crosshair are are chasing caleb now hunter's dealing with crosshair uh going rogue a bit um i believe caleb attacks crosshair knocks him out um so it's just hunter and caleb and they get to this big ravine do you want to talk about this because i know you like it i i do love it um i love the big ravine um i mean the visuals here right uh it's incredible to again see like how people are uh, setting up visual divides between people right and like my personal favorite is obviously you know they have caleb and hunter have this interaction right and caleb jumps over the ravine right and then leaves it's such an interesting visual if you see it from the standpoint of like that part of their life separating from them right so it's like their understanding of the republic and the jedi who are so entwined with that essentially leaving and then there's a huge divide right like like literally a huge literally divide a between huge them now. divide right and like that is so much of like the entire show every single plot a b and c is the batch versus the world essentially and versus mm-hmm. what's going on and and distancing themselves from the past and creating a future and like i love that they do this with like one shot here yeah it's very good yeah it's very good no it's it's very representative it's a really good um because this is the last scene in this first setup part right um and it's such a good essentially a summary of what's where we're at in the story now what's happened this is it there is a huge divide yeah, it's it's nice. Um, th- this episode is so long and so wild, but it's it's wild that they took Order sixty six, which is in and of itself becoming you know it has become more and more complicated as time has gone on, and we've gotten more context for it. They boiled it down to like its essential parts, its essential like emotional understanding into like a ten minute scene. Yeah, and like in that one ten minute scene, we have set up like an entire show, an entire seventy five minute episode. There's there's nothing superfluous about it either. It's not yeah. like they didn't try to pander for more emotionality it's it's emotional in what it is and it relates to the batch in in the specific ways that it's set up yeah this show and we talk about this like over and over and over again but like it does so much with so little uh it is incredibly like efficient with storytelling that's really the name of the game here with this series (laughs) um okay the next scene we get uh or the next part we jump to um the batch going back to Camino. Yeah. Um, which we established really quickly in they're on their ship, the Marauder. Um, and I, I again, I mean, just coming off the tales of, uh, a, they do a lot with a little, we see them kind of establishing Camino as home. Um, so we've just jumped from this like chaotic event to, okay, well, we're just going to go home. We're going to, we're, they're basically chasing this familiarity. Um, this is what they do. Um, yeah, interestingly enough, now that I'm realizing it, it doesn't seem like per dialogue that we're given, they're recalled to Camino. They do seem to choose to go back. Yeah. I They probably are recalled, but um, yeah. again, we don't see that no. happening. So it, it, the, in, the intention is, uh, was it intention or order? It doesn't matter. They're going home. Um, and, and they do specifically state it as As home, home yeah. yeah. Um, you have that really interesting conversation uh, conversation between crosshair and hunter which is furthering this divide between those two particularly um anything to say about that um no i mean like again uh, everything is a lot 
is excuse me is a little (laughs) you know what everything (laughs) is a lot (laughs) i am having a hard day everything's a lot um everything in this show is a little that that yields a lot Mm -hmm. um and this you know these two lines of dialogue right are the same we see that there is uh sort of an insidious nature brewing in crosshair and that he is he's got ideas and he's not okay with it and there's something going on you know coupled with what we saw right in the last scene and his sort of interesting behaviors like Mm -hmm. it's the setup here is is wild and it's and it's shooting through this episode right yeah we we never see any of the other batch members challenge hunter we see crosshair challenge hunter approximately 700 times in this episode yeah (laughs) i I, every time I watch this episode, I'm like, holy shit, there's so much going on. It's so fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like a fucking bullet train of an episode. <laughs> it, it does. But in like a good Despite way. being 75 minutes long. Like, yeah, again, it's it just no. like a long, grueling thing. No. It's just no moment is wasted. They truly needed all 75 of those yeah, minutes and they did a good job with it. Um, so they get back to Camino. We immediately see shock troopers, which by the. the- Santi guard. <laughs> <laughs> Is Marshal Commander Fox here? That um, bitch. <laughs> uh, no, he's not. Um, <laughs> just a cry. single tear rolls down my cheek. No. Um, yeah, so we immediately see shock troopers uh, and, and a dead Jedi, which obviously, I mean, shock troopers are not supposed to be here in Kamino, and no. surely not a dead Jedi is supposed to be here. They're supposed to be alive. Yeah, I love that it's like... Every- <laughs> everything sort of spells disaster from like the foot the the foot (laughs) the moment they set foot on camino um the foot they set moment on camino um truly uh but yeah no we we have this conversation in in the marauder of like oh we're going home it's been so long i'm so excited to just like rest and be home and then they're like well it's still chaos yeah there is kind of like this fun interesting thing of contrasts in this episode where it's like you know we start this episode with a lot of levity and then it's immediately contrasted against order 66 you know we contrast that with like a moment of like oh we're going home warm fuzzies contrasted with um there are people who aren't supposed to be here and there's dead jedi everywhere yeah it is kind of this like up and down it's this step to like uh things are really not good things are getting worse and they keep getting worse like it's mm -hmm. this and yes and another okay (laughs) no it's truly like they deal with like these traumatic moments very well because like i mean they're soldiers right so they're used to seeing death this thing that's happened with the jedi is very odd but um like vis-a-vis the the uh order that like tech got or like heard that like oh the jedi have committed treason yeah maybe it makes sense to them then other things that they can't really bypass are happening in their home. Yeah. Um, so we we uh, get back to Camino. We get to the Batch's quarters. Um, love seeing their quarters. But this conversation is the first time that we see them kind of having to deal with what's happening. Um, it's this conversation of this idea. The mission was completed. Should it have been completed? We see Hunter and Crosshair um further being on opposite sides but this conversation we get to see the rest of the batch kind of weighing in wrecker doesn't seem to really care he's the one that says this mission was completed like we did it he um puts a you know a tally mark on the wall for a completed mission echo voices his concern about what just happened you know why did we see them kill a jedi he's he's concerned um speak very echo about it yeah uh but obviously crosshair is not and crosshair and hunter have this like another a a follow-up conversation to the conversation they had in their shuttle which is just like 
hey, we didn't complete that mission. And Hunter's like, are you not like questioning why yeah. they would want us to do that? And doesn't Crosshair specifically be like, Hunter's been lying to us? Yeah, not only is he like, hey, I'm confused he's as to like, why we didn't follow these orders. He's like being insidious. He's yeah, being... he's like brewing dissent, essentially. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love that you don't really see that dissent land in any of the others. No, they're just like, it's unquestioning, right? They either don't care that much or they already are questioning they already were questioning um yeah yeah and then this might be getting into the nitty-gritty already but i, I mean do it i, don't I noticed this yesterday um there's a part where uh sf crosser is like we didn't finish the mission objective like you let that padawan go and hunter he's standing in front of the window and you can see his reflection really well in because mm-hmm. it's dark outside and camino <laughs> and rainy um and he's like i don't like to think of executing our commandos as a mission objective um and i i like that it's, he's almost sort of looking at like himself when he says this yeah um i also think it's his non-tattooed side that you see on the i mean you see his whole face in the reflection but it's like i don't know oh, it has the, a very, yeah the the camera the camera is sort of on the side of the yeah it has a very thing. like dual quality to it yeah it's very good yeah so then we get shot into yet another uh-oh the situation is getting away worse yeah we're continuing uh, we get a quite a big step of the in- descending into chaos yeah, staircase which is we get to see uh sheev palpatine um the emperor the newly crowned emperor right um giving an address to the entire galactic republic well galactic army what used to be the galactic republic right and the it's gar the gar um it's a, a transmission we've seen before but never in this context right um and it feels so weird like i I, we've talked about this before but like the amount of like how how thick they lay it on with the propaganda essentially is is insane in this scene just the sort of like we're all lined up like i know they're an army i know there's a utility for them all lining up in a big room but but like they're not even they're not even just like oh gather in this room um and you know for a mixer Um, you know, it's not like, it's not like assembly when we were like, you know, in high school or whatever, pep rallies where it's just like, find a seat or like, uh, you know, everyone kind of like, uh, cordons off to their groups of the people that they know, like they're all equally apart. Like it's very stiff and structured and like uniform. I mean, yeah, again, this concept of uniform obviously is like intentional in that it's making the batch stand out because they're the only ones in like black and red armor and they're like in a line and they're like, what's happening? Yeah. And I especially love that during this scene, like, I mean, obviously there's a lot of important plot points during this. We, we find out the state of the Republic, which is that it's no more. The empire has risen in its place. We see, uh, hunter clocking omega for the first time right which is incredibly important um i love that at some point tech comes over to hunter like mm-hmm. it always is in my mind is like is no one gonna yell at you for like breaking formation <laughs> it feels like, like that they're like even in the way that they move the way that they are they're like not like there is contrast right they're it's not like the so Rex. contrasted anyway so you got really excited when i mentioned omega <laughs> no i and i kind of wrote this in her character um section part but we can talk about it here i love that while they're well we're getting kind of like the next really big step in this staircase uh descending into hell des- yeah <laughs> descending into like oh god oh no um is the same time that we get introduced to um one of our other main characters omega who like i'll get into this in the in the theme yep, section yep. but keep like it, keep it brief <laughs> but um it's this sense of hope it's this sense yeah. of like it, it, it hope that they don't even know 
what it is yet yeah. right because it, it's hunter kind of clocks her and is like that's a child yeah. and then like she disappears and again it's contrast right mm-hmm. it's that he uh, sees her because she's so different than the fucking kamino and she's standing next to him so yeah. different than all the people there she's never he's never seen something like her before right yeah. and like i love that it is kind of like in a weird way a spark of hope um and then after they leave they're in the hall well, do we want to quickly cover sort of their reactions to this? Yeah, I think adding to the contrast between them and the regs is that like after Palpatine is um, done with his big spiel about the Empire or whatever, mm-hmm. um, they're all cheering. All the regs are like, <laughs> yeah, we love you. Nothing more suspicious. <laughs> yeah. And then like, I think it's Tech who leans over to Hunter and is like, oh, still think they're not programmed or like... Yeah. Someone says something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, I think at and some point Echo is just like an empire. Yeah, like he Echo specifically takes umbrage with the concept of an empire. The concept of an empire, which, which is, I think is really funny because the rest of the batch doesn't seem to have a problem with that word so much. But like Echo, who was once a reg member of the Gar, uh, is presumably understands like, fascism. Yeah, he, he <laughs> and, understands and the difference and the uh, like his experiences probably of like the republic versus what an empire will be yeah. and he is like affronted, which like I love. Not that the batch isn't like smart or anything, but their experiences have been so insular that yeah, I don't think like, they really con uh, it's, have a concept uh, an important concept of republic versus empire. Yeah. And like obviously it's personal for Echo for a number of reasons yes. that obviously we get into in this yes. episode. Um, all right, so they, they leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and who do they meet when they're in the hallway but Omega? Yes. Once again. They get their proper official introduction to yes. her. Um, I I love that she's just kind of following them along and Hunter's like, someone's here. <laughs> Does he call them lads? Yeah, he does say lads at some point, which <laughs> I, I don't think, think is... he ever says that again. No, but I, but really I wish like he that. did. Um, yeah, and so she um, gets introduced and um, Nalase is close by and um because they're asking like what are you doing here like you're a child like, who are you yeah <laughs> um and you know they kind of understand that she's oh she's my she's my assistant um don't worry about her <laughs> um so we kind of get this uh this little thread of of deceit here yeah there's like a, a light introduction to omega and we we obviously see that a a little bit of her personality that she's mm-hmm. is bubbly and fun and and Mm-hmm. I don't know. She's kind of like a lightness to their sort of, you know, edgy war boys thing. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. It's like a nice little introduction. It's good to see her and it's good to see the contrast once again. Exactly. We get this scene uh, not having to do with the batch specifically, um, but we get a scene between Admiral Tarkin and Lamasu um, discussing the usefulness of clones, which is, um, I'm going to call it part of plot C. Yeah, I would say so. Um, where we, we get the Camino and sort of starting to panic because their whole business is cloning. And now, um, Admiral Tarkin does float this idea that like, well, we won the war and we don't know that we need clones anymore. Yeah, clones are an expense. So like, yeah, it's essentially starting, I, I like that in every plot line, right? Because obviously no no plot line is an island. They all exist, you know, together. But I like that in every pl- way the Empire is like becoming, it's like a ripple effect, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the Kaminoans who have made their entire business off of, you know, war essentially are, are starting to realize that their position might not be so comfortable as they think anymore. Um, which is a, I, I love that they're getting really... Um, granular about this because it's an interesting topic in later episodes of the season we do see different ways that the empire is sort of um trashing uh things that were once useful in the area of the republic um but this is really specific as it uh 
pertains to our main characters and um their story yeah and obviously it is kind of like one of those it's the through line of this episode Mm -hmm. right but i do again like what what we talked about it's really interesting to see this happening from like really specific small perspectives mm-hmm. like we've seen the Kaminoans before we've seen cloning before but like to understand now that there is actually pressure put on them from this insane thing that's happening is, is also a really interesting i would say new perspective um it this scene and then also the next scene or a little bit at the end of the next scene we get to see um Adderall tarkin sort of come up as he is not our primary villain in this um but he does sort of represent the like big bad yeah um we He's see our like, primary villain uh as part of the empire come up in a couple episodes yeah he, he's kind of like i don't know the ghost of the empire right they're yeah. like he's the sort of the phantom if you will yeah he's the phantom constantly <laughs> haunting <laughs> yeah okay and then we get into a, a an interestingly fun and fast-paced scene in the middle of this like insane episode like i think we've had a lot of um conversations previously right and and uh, another fun thing we like to talk about is um a show can't be all conversations or it's just downton abbey um so <laughs> in light of that what do they do is that they put this extremely fun like food fight scene like again we're bringing that like sort of levity to like a very serious situation honestly i think it's another moment for the audience to uh relate to these characters yeah. um it, it's uh it has a sort of like juvenile in like a fun way yeah i mean who doesn't love like a cafeteria food fight scene i've never all wanted to be there yeah i've never been in a food fight but i've I've always wanted to be in a food fight um because previously we've just been getting a lot of heavy things yeah um really heavy conversations driving wedges between characters um you know uh propaganda uh descent in the ranks of the batch like it is like it's it's very serious but it is so it's fun to have just like what i think is kind of in the middle of this episode just Mm -hmm. like this fun scene yeah um it's a little bit of levity it helps the audience um connect with them a little bit more and there's like an empathy there um it further uh pushes the batches um if it, it, it not only are they very different from the regs but they're not these like heroes among them right the regs don't yeah. like them they call them they're, the sad batch yeah i was like you know? what do they call them it's not bitches um it's a sad batch um yeah yeah it's interesting <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm just imagining this show in like a not like didn't have if to be in all audiences and we could swear like, it was bob's burgers. it was the hashtag let obi-wan say fuck yeah um, um but yeah, I think it's interesting that they're not these like tropey heroes. Like again, we see that in Clone Wars all the time. That's the whole fucking point is that they're like these fun tropey action heroes. It's fucking Star Wars, right? I love that we have these guys who are like effectively the dorks who are bullied like but <laughs> they look like that. Like they're insane. Like mm-hmm. they're so fun. We immediately like them and have always loved them since their debut, right? Like cuz they're just so fun and interesting and to see them against like boring regs who are effectively bullying them yeah. is like it's such a wild contrast, but it's really it's fun to see them that they're they essentially get slotted as the underdogs. Right. Um no, I think that's an interesting um note. I think when we see them in season 7 they are um, I mean, there's obviously a divide between them and the regs, but, like, they get along with the regs. I mean, specifically Rex um, for, yeah. like, two seconds, Cody. <laughs> Before he gets ed up by a spaceship. Um, but who's with them? Is it Jesse? It's, it's Jesse and Kix. It's, like, the usual, like, 5 first squad. And yeah. then Cody, who leaves. I think Cody and Kix leave, so it's, like, yeah. Jesse and, and Rex. Rex. I guess. 
Yeah, but we we see them working together. Um, but that's in the era of the Republic. Individuality is prized. Now we're in the era of the Empire. If you're not uniform, you're nothing. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to call you out on it. Yeah. Um, so very interesting little like you know and again like a twist we've talked about this when we're watching this episode etc but like all of the clones we see on camino sans the the coruscanti guard uh they're all like the super normal clones right they're the most reg that you can get in the world we don't see them have any interesting armor markings we don't see them have different hair colors or different tattoos. Hair cuts tattoos we don't even see them have scars they are all the same. <laughs> they're like literally like, I mean, they're fresh off the line, exactly. right? Like, and, and so it's so fun that they chose to do that, even with background characters. And again, getting back into the scene we're talking about with these guys who are bullying them in, in yeah. this lunchroom, essentially. Um, so that scene is fun, but we do see a little glimpse at, right before the scene ends with Echo, obviously getting knocked out by a fucking lunch tray. I love, um, I love this scene. <laughs> uh, but we see him see Admiral Tarkin uh, up in the like observation chamber above um so yeah echo gets knocked out he wakes up in the infirmary um and he essentially just relays to the badge tarkin is bad news yeah we uh, we essentially get like a tiny little refresher on echo here Mm -hmm. which i think is helpful because i think you can pretty easily clock him as like not i don't know he's like visually different like he's designed to look different than the rest of the batch and i feel like if you didn't watch those clone war season seven episodes you maybe wouldn't know his story so it's also a nice tricky little way to get um some context in there right and also the the needed understanding of like tarkin is bad news he doesn't like clones and like we are like we're fucked you guys <laughs> basically like we know things have been going downhill but like oh oh god oh, oh no boy, howdy they're really going down yeah this is like the worst case scenario essentially yeah um no i just i mean I can't give the show enough praise. I just, I love the way that they communicate echoes uh, what's happened to him. Right. They do it in this dialogue between all the batch members. And we still, we like in a way that we, we basically like get two two birds with one stone and yeah. that we get to inform the audience very briefly what happened to echo. But then also we get characterization like um, it's like tech wrecker and crosshair who yeah. are kind of talking and um, tech is like, Oh, is Admiral Tarkin the, man that you were talking about or that you were with when this happened to you at the citadel um when you turned into yeah uh, and then i think crosshair was just like this well so wrecker goes when you blew up and then crosshair goes and you turned into this yeah which i it's really interesting to have this like participatory conversation but also understand that tech like i guess understands like oh maybe i shouldn't talk about this just a little bit and then wrecker is like oh but you blew up and crosshair's like a little bit of an asshole and he's like and you turned into this yeah we Uh, get wrecker sort of like not understanding really the like concept excited by explosions really yeah really um we have tech who like we see echo and tech kind of set up as this little a little bit of a duo they're little buddies um (laughs) yeah uh and so i think that speaks to maybe a relationship that they've been building where maybe tech is like oh i should be sensitive about this because that's my friend um and then crosshair who's just a straight up asshole (laughs) yeah like i'm doing the like worst thing that you could do which is like kind of in a way poke fun at someone for that like it's it's just wild or just like insinuating that like who you are is um is is bad yeah a mistake in some way yeah he's Um, i mean he's they're being they are bullied for that reason and then he's bullying again echo for that reason i i love that we get to see crosshair be kind of an asshole in like a lot of situations like Like it's no question what happens because we get to see him do this over and over and over again especially Mm -hmm. here 
Um, I think there is like an extra layer to it as well in in this episode because we do see him be kind of a dick <laughs> in season in seven. Season seven, but it's a but different flavor. It's a different flavor. He is just sort of like we. I guess we. I guess we get to see a lot more redeeming uh, qualities about him in season seven and redeeming relationships with the batch. Um, like I'm, I'm specifically remembering his interaction with like Wrecker when they're trying to like outdo each other. Like yeah. it's very charming. He's there's a little more charm. There's a little Here, bit more like brotherly competition there. Yeah, you don't get that brotherly feeling at all. He's already tried to like usurp Hunter a, a few times. Um, he's being just a straight up stone cold asshole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they they leave the infirmary and yeah. are on their way to their quarters again yeah when... we're gonna call this camino part two because sure. they don't change locations but we get a sort of a um a break <laughs> a, we we get a sort of a switching of uh of target here of task yeah um where they think they're yeah they're walking back to their quarters they think that they're in trouble or the the shock troopers approach them they think they're in trouble for the food fight <laughs> one would assume um and uh they are like no admiral tarkin wants to see you in the like combat chambers I do like that at first, right? There's kind of like a, oh, like at least from record, there's an understanding of like, we got into a food fight and now they want us to fight. Like, oh, we're not being punished for this, right? And I think the others are a little bit more wary about it. Especially after what Echoes just told them. Yeah. Um, and so uh, mixed feelings, right? Going mm-hmm. into this combat scenario, which is yeah. maybe the last thing that you want to be in in like an unsteady environment, right? Yeah. Um, but they've done it a million times before, so they're going to do it again. Yeah. Um, yeah, in contrast to the food fight, I mean, we see them fighting, obviously, in that, but it's a lot more casual. They're not trying to kill anyone. Um, in this, they get to show their, like, actual combat prowess, and we see the batch, much like the first scene that we see them in in this episode, we see them working together incredibly fluidly. They, um, you know, work off of each other's strengths. They have their strategies. They're very good at that. So they absolutely decimate this, like, combat test yeah um, i mean with a, an important caveat in the middle that like they well s- yeah so they or i guess they're on their way to decimating the combat yeah. test and then tarkin decides why don't we use live rounds <laughs> because why not which is a very tarkin thing to do yes it is uh, again it's really interesting thinking about like the food fight and then having like a, a little break scene and then this fight uh, once again kind of creating this contrast of like levity versus seriousness right because like i don't know they go into this with like a unease but like it, it gets a million times worse right and like they are i don't know it's an interesting con- uh, contrast between mm-hmm. uh you know two different types of fights i suppose and i it's nice to see like all these different faces of the batch mm-hmm. um and like having come off just come off the hill heels of order 66 i mean like tarkin obviously gives them no warning about oh we're switching to live rounds now it just happens um and i can't imagine that they're not thinking about you know order 66 and if they can do that to the jedi they can do it to us yeah there's we get to see like a particular cruelty in the empire here too Mm -hmm. and i think like it is incredibly important for the batch to understand that because i think previously they've just really been confused about the situation and like their their place in this empire right and Mm -hmm. i think this um this situation this combat test of the live rounds when they understand that they're like oh we're objects to them right we are a commodity and they're seeing if we're even useful anymore uh paints for them a really really clear picture of like the empire and kind of what they're about mm-hmm. which is obviously important for them as characters yeah um but i like this this scene specifically because it it sets up the uh the unity with which they operate so that their disillusion their falling apart is a much bigger 
deal um, at the end of this episode. Yeah. Uh, we get to see them as a team before we get to see them. How how insanely hard it is to not be that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. They, I mean. They sort of successfully do this. They do successfully do it with the, uh, yeah, with the added caveat that they did use live rounds. And they're not happy about it. They go back to their bunk and they're like, what the hell? Yeah. What was that? They clearly have like a <laughs> distaste for what's yeah. going on. Um, and but while they're ar- arguing, right, who walks in but Tarkin himself. Um, and they very quickly snap to attention. Uh, yeah. And he gives them this mission, um, which is sort of part two of like proving their worth. Right. Um, which like at this point, I don't think they don't have another option. I mean, this is what they're ma- made to do, essentially, yeah. and, and all that they have known. Um, so he gives them this mission to go to Onderon to put down some insurgents and they're getting ready to go. And the next scene is Omega coming to Hunter, um, which they've only seen her a couple times. Um, and I believe the last time Hunter was like, it was in the infirmary and he was like, you, you're a kid, like get out of here. We're n- nothing but trouble basically. Yeah. But I like that, uh, she comes to him and is like, there's something wrong. And he get, he's, this is the first time we see him get down on her level. Like he kneels down. Um, and, and she's like asking to come with him. And I love this line that he tells her. (laughs) He says, kid, you're not a soldier. Um, which given the, the episodes, uh, the rest of the episodes in this, I think it's really interesting that he tells her that. And it's basically like this huge foreshadow of like both Omega's journey and like Hunter in the Batch, like existential shift that they go through. Yeah. Um, very good. Anyway. All right. So they load on up and go to Onderon. Yes. Um, and when they get there, what they very, very quickly find out is that the insurgents that they are after are not droids like they assumed, like they are used to because mm-hmm. of the separatists. It is just people, um, which sort of launches them into a whole, I would say, like a huge crux of this episode, this sort of like existential understanding of like who they are and what they could be and like what they're being forced into. Is there any choice in that, right? Yeah, um, they all essentially reach their limit of like, okay, I know that this is like all I've known, but this is too far and I'm not doing this. We essentially get to see them like uh, understand uh, almost morality, I guess, like to to the extent that they find themselves in. Right. And like we get to do it in such a fun way with this conversation with uh, another returning character, uh, our dear Saw Guerrera, um, who is leading insurgents once again, or still on Onderon. I think this conversation that they have, um, um, one of the first, he says three lines um, that I think are hallmarks of the rest of the entire series. The first line he says is the clone war may have ended, but a civil war is about to begin. Um, and like, obviously from Saw Gerrera's point of view, like he's been fighting a war against uh, the government of Onderon, I believe. Yeah. Which was like with the separatists. Yeah. Um, for a while. Um, and so like in, 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 in some ways he's talking about that, but the concept of like a civil war, right? Like brother against brother, especially in like the American sense, like there's just so many layers to this. Yeah. Um, not only is he referring to his experiences, he's referring to the, the, the rebellion that will at some point take hold. Um, he's also talking about this, divide between hunter and crosshair that we see growing each more every scene yeah and even so like pushing that even more like uh, referencing what we were just talking about like uh a divide between the your one's past right and your future right where it's essentially this entire show is like choices and divides being created 
And I love, yeah, this one conversation is like incredibly poignant. Mm-hmm. Um, the second line uh, that happens is um, Hunter basically telling him, like, I, I guess I respect what you're doing, but like, you don't stand a chance. Like, the Empire is and has all of the resources. Um, you bas- you don't stand a chance. And Saul just says, not alone, we don't. Um, which becomes, I think, an important part in the batch uh, surviving and continuing on. I mean, they meet so many people and they... Um, no, it is a, it's a good line. And again, I think it's another one that kind of, it, it does a lot of foreshadowing and also it feels so Star Warsy, right? Because like, obviously I think uh, at, at base and truly what Saw is talking about is the rebellion that's going to grow. He knows it will, right? Because he becomes one of its leaders in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we just talked about this too in one of our more recent episodes that we're recording. Um, but this concept that like in in order to fight well for something like the rebellion is, um, the members of the rebellion have to have a reason for doing so. Um, and this whole show is essentially like the batch figuring out that reason. What is, what is their existential, um, journey looking like? What are they learning to care about? Who are they becoming? And I think this is an, a topic question that they have to ask themselves after a while who do if we're not alone who do we have yeah each other who else you know do you want to talk about the last yeah i'd love to and then you know sort of the the pivotal i feel like per the sort of music cues etc this is set up as like uh, an incredible i mean it is an incredible line but it is set up as like the the end all be all line which again it's great but it he says you know the old ways are done you can either adapt and survive or die with the past and it's like uh once again just like it's all of our plot lines right it's yeah. it it explains them so well in such a concise period of time which is like the batch it has to adapt and survive they're required to and who stays behind at the end of this episode is crosshair and mm-hmm. and to him he's adapting um to him this is what adapting and surviving yeah. and is and the rest of them are dying, dying with, with the, the past. past right because they're still holding to the republic's morality right, right. and and he's uh, adapting so it's just it's such a fun interesting way to once again create these like dual perspectives like and you know from saw's perspective he's just like i have to do what i have to i'm not going to be okay with like the empire um so i'm gonna adapt and i'm gonna survive and i'm gonna help people do that and like he's saying that to like these two people really hunter and crosshair who are are pivotal understandings of that theme uh and it's just so incredible again like this was three lines and three lines that are like so hard hitting when it comes to like themes in this show and like what we do here analyzing it and like you know the characters journeys exactly Uh, it's great to see (laughs) after they're done with that conversation with saw um hunter and crosshair's sort of um truly this is like the straw right so they choose not to kill any of these yeah they let them go yeah because they're people and they're because hunter basically was like like, no we're not doing this um that's wrong i know that (laughs) um and that's like the straw that breaks the crosshair right it's like (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean in essence it is um they their their uh, arguments basically reach a tipping point here where um at this point crosshair actually suggests well maybe you're not fit to lead this squad he vies for leadership right which like previously he has challenged hunter where like none of the other batch members were um but now he's basically like i want it i want it and i don't think you're a good leader anymore yeah it's like all the dissent that he's been trying to like stir up in these like you know and their group is coming to a head here and he's like actually no i'm gonna make a power move i'm gonna try to like usurp you as the leader of our group Mm -hmm. um 
it's just it's such an interesting again we get to see these two set up as foils to each other and like again it's so it it starts this like tragic unfolding of Mm -hmm. like these two people aren't who they the other thought they were right yeah it's like just this like slow falling out and it's yeah i don't know i really like when um you know they're arguing and then hunter sees something in the background which turns out to be a probe droid and he shoots it and like right when their argument is reaching like it's peak and you see crosshair's eyes go wide a little bit and then calm down as though he like thought hunter was going to shoot him like and then po- he's almost blank he's almost a little disappointed that yeah he, like there's like didn't try something yeah like yeah. like that would have been the metal that he was looking for like he was trying to like push him and push him for a reaction exactly um and he's like surprised that he didn't react in the way that he did um no i think it's interesting too that like it takes crosshair so long to actually challenge hunter in this way um because you would think that like if he's really so sure in what the empire's doing and their place in it that he would just be like oh well i'm gonna take over and i'm gonna do it um who cares what happens to you but like it really it really pushes that like that's not only what crosshair wants he he wants them with him like he believes this is what they were made to do and he wants them all to do that yeah and um, this comes up obviously but like and is our b plot but like it's it has to be crosshair's way right and Mm -hmm. like he paints himself in these actions as being in a way kind of like selfish but he is self-assured in these ways like he thinks he's doing the right thing um which i think makes him a really interesting compelling villain a compelling foil to hunter right Mm -hmm. who's learning how to be like a person and moral and understanding you know his way in this world and we have crosshair who's very self-assured in what he thinks um yeah so after that um tiff sort of comes to a head um they decide that um they need to go back for omega um and this is when we kind of like officially learn that omega is um an advanced advanced clone enhanced and sorry <laughs> i'm reading my notes and i did write in advanced <laughs> she's she's advanced <laughs> she's like eight she's an fine. advanced math don't worry <laughs> um i'm sorry yes she is the fifth enhanced clone there you go and uh, I think the rest of them are kind of like, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I, Tech says this, right? Tech and he it. says it in his very tech way, which is very matter of fact. And he's figured this out and he knows it. And everyone's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I love that he's like, everyone assumed or Tarkin assumed that Echo was the fifth clone. But as we all know, he is a reg. Yeah, because Nalase does say five yeah. enhanced clones. I love that Nalase kind of doesn't. She's been a little sneaky. Yeah, she's being, I mean, we understand why she's being a little sneaky. Um, but yeah, I love that that just kind of gets thrown out there and they're like, well, shit, we have to go back for her, which mm-hmm. is like the second straw that breaks the crosshair. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, a lot going on here for him. I, I love the shot that this scene leaves off on, which is um, all of them piled on the stairs, like going up into the cock, not cockpit, um, the cargo space, I suppose. Um, and Crosshair is like the only one on yeah. the ground. It was very foreshadowing. I was going to say that reminds me of something way in the future. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, not only is it foreshadowing that, but foreshadowing. Yeah. What happens at the end of this episode. Yeah. That yeah. Crosshair is the one that gets left. Yeah. Um, well, he stays behind. He stays Let's be behind. clear. Let's he stays be behind. Yeah. Um, all right. So they get back to Camino and Im- immediately <laughs> run into more trouble. Uh, I love this scene a lot. I'll talk about it when we talk about design. But okay. it's got a very uh, ooky spooky nature to it, which is like one of my favorite things. Um, but they essentially immediately get ambushed by Tarkin. Yeah. 
um, who because surprise, surprise, the probe droid was yeah, like they they were watching them. them. They yeah. heard what happened. They know that they didn't complete their mission, so they arrest all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they find Omega in prison. <laughs> yeah, so like obviously in the interim, it's cut with like o- Omega and Az, our little droid friend. Az, yeah, we love Az. He's um, my favorite. In- investigating in places they shouldn't be, namely the Batch's quarters, and they do also get arrested by these Coruscanti guards, which is like a wild thing, by the way, for them to do. Like they don't know who this child is, and they just put her in jail. Um, <laughs> They're not like, who are you? Who are you supposed to be here? They're like, no, you're not supposed to be here. We will put you in jail. Yeah, we're not um, gonna ask. Like, they who can you do are. one thing, and it's put people in jail. <laughs> um, so, you know, we meet up with Omega in, in this jail in, on Camino. Um, and again, we get like a really interesting, we're now seeing like all of them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the little character moments in here are really nice. Yeah, we have another important conversation between Omega and Crosshair. Um, not setting them up quite as foils, but um, I mean, we talked about this kind of this idea of like a, f- a foiled triumvirate. I think almost. this is actually the first time we're introducing this concept. So, oh, okay. Um, we haven't talked about it before, <laughs> but you and me have yes. spoken about this um, and come up with the term the foiled triumvirate. Obviously, Hunter and Crosshair are pitted against each other, um, but then you have Omega, who is sort of um, not influencing um, like consciously, but she her presence in both of their lives and these conversations that they have um in this moment are um really indicative of the continuation of each of their stories um they all affect each other they all play off each other right so these these three characters specifically yeah yeah. this triangle of foils (laughs) the foil triumvirate um yeah but like omega has a, a, a important conversation with crosshair regarding his inhibitor chip um and she doesn't even I mean, again, they say a lot with a little. She does not even say anything about the chip. She's just like, I know it's your fault. (laughs) No, she doesn't say, I know it's your fault. She says, (laughs) I know it's not your fault. Um, And she pleads with him, please don't do what you're going to do. Um, Which is really interesting, again, coming from uh, the youngest, sweetest, most innocent character in this. Yeah, she is... She has this almost like weird oracle quality about she her. She has this like wisdom to her, <laughs> uh-huh. but I think it, it, and we talk about this, you know, in coming episodes, but she has like a, such a softness and a sweetness where she is always choosing kindness. She's our hope in this world because she is like uh, always there to see the good in people. And I love that we get to see this so quickly in this series, right? Where she's so kind to Crosshair and she knows, she knows what he's struggling with and also like what he's going to do and just like uh, so politely and sweetly is like, please don't. Mm-hmm. uh also it's not your fault <laughs> yeah she isn't immediately um angry at him she no. isn't immediately like oh we have to stop you she just is asking what's interesting too is that she doesn't like inform hunter at all that she's like oh by the way crosshair isn't doing okay his chip is activated like she knows what's going on in a way i, I think it speaks to what we find out at the end of this season um but mm-hmm. she is like She's not relying on Hunter to talk to Crosshair. Like, no, she has like a, a responsibility. They are all clones. She sees her relationship to each of them as, I think, equal and yeah. separate. Not like, oh, Hunter is sort of my proxy into this group. Like, yeah, I need to talk to him. She is as much a member of this yeah. group as the rest it of them. It just also, I feel like, speaks to how 
essentially respectful right kind mm-hmm. she is to people like because instead of going over his head and being like oh you need to solve this problem hunter for crosshair right it's like no you're a person i can talk to yeah. you like a person mm-hmm. like you're not beyond reason right there's yeah. certain like level of like understanding and respect and, and compassion there mm-hmm. um and then crosshair gets taken away yeah uh which this is an interesting note which you came up with um which is that this is the first time that someone is taken out of the batch Mm-hmm. but it's not um he crosshair is not taken against his will no um even after the because they're they're still crosshair and hunter are still going at it in this jail cell and this is coming off of the heels of like their most recent argument um and the uh um like guards come and they're like uh, crosshair you need to come with us um and hunter doesn't even like hesitate to jump in and say like no no no, no. we stay together like, even after this argument where Crosshair is yeah. like, I don't think you should be leader anymore. He's like, okay, whatever. You're still part of this. Like, you're still yeah. family. He you're not loyalty. going anywhere. And Crosshair just looks at him, says nothing, and goes with them. Yeah. Basically, like, you're not you're not my family anymore. Yeah. Absolutely. He is truly the first one to abandon yes. them. Which is so fascinating. Such an interesting way to, like, reframe uh i mean we get into this a lot over the next couple of episodes but like the sort of tumblr understanding of of this show and a lot of what we've seen and it is interesting to see like crosshair is the one who gets up and leaves he does make the choice he could have he could have been defended by hunter and been okay with that but he followed orders yeah i love the term the tumblr understanding the tumblr (laughs) sounds like a weird phenomenon It is a, kind a of a phenomenon or like an oracle that you go to to like accept weird wisdom you don't want. Um, wisdom is a strong word. Knowledge, <laughs> just stuff. Statements that people make. Hot takes. Um, but yes. Tumblr understanding. It also sounds like a weird band. <laughs> it does. So Crosshair leaves. He makes the conscious decision to leave the batch. Um, and we see him getting his chip his inhibitor chip uh enhanced it seems um souped up i don't know they just kind of crank it (laughs) um because he's the only one again that is seems to be working with the empire's program and and they've identified that and they're gonna now use it yeah um while that's happening the rest of the batch obviously um does a jailbreak yeah and we do get some really cute interactions here with uh omega and the rest of the batch she definitely is like already really um endeared to them she loves them she loves uh to the point where she's copying hunter she's essentially doing the spider-man meme um it's so cute and it's adorable but they do uh especially with their help i love that they the last you know way that they finally get out right like the final part of their plan is that omega has to climb up there and and, you Mm -hmm. know turn off the ray shield uh i love that they include her like they just like 100 percent immediately rely on her yeah Uh, they're they're immediately like okay you're small you can get into places like let's work with that yeah they're not putting her on on this on the back burner is like oh she's a child whatever no and that does obviously like uh, it keeps coming up and it's Mm -hmm. nice to see it start so early yeah um I, I like that this jailbreak scene um, is a bit of levity again. Um, like, we don't have Crosshair anymore. He's, you know, off doing his serious thing. Um, his Crosshair thing. But we get this fun little piece of levity before we are plunged again into What I would say is now heartbreak. the sort of dark, darkest and dimmest. <laughs> Truly. Um, yeah, so they jailbreak, make it back to their ship. Um, they are getting their stuff together and Crosshair comes back in yeah so 
they right so they have omega's knowledge right so they're like we have to get our stuff because we need to leave they know now that they cannot stay here mm-hmm. uh they've made a decision right and the entire time they're like okay and and someone needs to go find crosshair because we need him to be with us obviously um and omega informs them that all their stuff has been moved to the to the hangar bay so they go that way um and yeah, while this chaos is ensuing of them trying to like gather their gear and, and go, yes, who walks in but Crosshair now in different armor with his uh, a squad of boys, <laughs> uh, flanked by a squad of boys. Yeah. <laughs> Almost just said as we all want to be. Um, That's a choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this. OK, I'll let you talk about this standoff. My absolute fucking favorite part of this episode is the standoff at the end. Um I feel like I've said this statement a hundred thousand times now, but um, I love when Star Wars is Western. I love when it it leans so hard into it that it becomes a motif. And hey, guess what? Listen, at its root, it is a space Western. It is a space Western, and I love again. I Star Wars can be serious and interesting, and and have interesting you know thoughts on the human existence as we're seeing in this show but man i fucking love it when it becomes like kooky in a way and i love these like very very western we have like you know, shots of guns and this very like built tension between two people like uh, essentially gonna duel right yeah it is truly the 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 i, I guess the final standoff between these two characters it has such um, and like yeah i like what you said about the kooky moments but this is truly anything but kooky it's um wild how they marry those two exactly. concepts essentially yeah um, um I, I just want to bring special attention to yes. the fucking music here yeah yeah yeah. please do I, again the keener brothers so good cannot do not have enough good things to say about um the way that they have done music both in the clone wars and in this show um but the music is so so good it, we don't have like a um a ramp up to like it's not a Jaws music. It's not like yeah. It's oh, not like a horror. It's, no, it's this like smaller, sad minor key piano that starts to play. In that like, it's kind of sinking in that like they're not leaving with Crosshair, yeah, but not because they lost him, but because he left them. Yeah, it's like almost I don't know funerary in a way. It um, is. But and I love that like all of these things. It's like it's it's dark. Obviously, it's Camino, so it's raining. They're trying to leave. It's chaos, and in the chaos are these two people and this incredibly sad music that's playing. Like it's such an interesting like marrying of motifs and feelings to create this like one really incredible scene that's like mm-hmm. in the format of a western. Like I just yeah. uh, I love it so much. Which are which are often tragedies. Yeah, they are. But like I think you know, just because of like the time period that they yeah. are so popular and they have like such a almost a kooky quality to us yeah. now. But like they have such a, I don't know. I love this and I love how many times it comes up in this show and it's just such a fun motif that keeps getting used. Um, and you know, I love it so much that we named our podcast uh, in in yeah. sort of a Western flair. Yeah. Um, good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah, but now it's the good, the bad, the bad. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously this all comes to a head. A lot of things happen. Uh, Crosshair has essentially pinned them down. Crosshair really shows his hand here. He um, does. In that, like, he, he's kind of a new person. He's not the person we met in season seven. He is slowly morphing into somebody else during this entire episode because and he straight up shoots Wrecker to use him as bait. Yeah, that and, and like, isn't it such a great um, visual understanding that he is in new armor? He is, yeah. he is one foot in the stormtrooper grave, right? Like, um, <laughs> 
it's just so fascinating. And yeah, he does something that is unimaginable, which is that he shoots someone who is like his brother in order to, you know, bait the others. Like that's such a, like a horrible, that's like a less than human thing to do. Right. It's just so cruel. I mean, it's the cruel efficiency of the empire, which he's like fully thrown his weight behind now. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot happens here. Um, Omega, interestingly enough, is the one to, um, she is the tipping point. She's the tipping point. She's basically the one that saves them at the very eleventh uh, hour, at the last minute, um, which is like the first time she's shooting a gun, essentially. But she like so expertly hits his gun right as he's about to shoot. Yeah. Um, Hunter or, or Wrecker again. They're they're trying to get him up the stairs. Yeah. Because um, it's Echo and Hunter are trying to get Wrecker up the stairs. Yeah. Um, which again, I, not that um. Not that her and Crosshair are particular foils, but she's sort of like the weird pillar that stands between Hunter and Crosshair. Not in a like divisive way, but in a, she's kind of what is knitting them together. She's kind of in a way like the hope for, well, she's the hope for everyone, right? Exactly. For both of them, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it doesn't go to one particular side. Yeah. She is kind of Even though she is leaving with them now, she remains... A connection. Yeah. So, you know, she ends up, as we said, she shoots his gun. She starts just like pot shotting over there. So like he has to run for cover and the rest of the batch are able to board the Marauder and escape. Exactly. Um, At which point we we also do see um, they almost don't make it out of there because uh, they try to close the... um, The bay door. The bay door and Nautilus A comes up again and she's like watching what's happening and basically overrides the system and keeps them from yeah. trapping the batch. So what an interesting also little, mm-hmm. and, and a little unknown thing that I feel like is always kind of a surprise is like, why, you know, it's a, it's an unknown. It's a question, right? That I think definitely is one of those things that you look for in a pilot is what's leading us into the rest of the series. And exactly. I feel like that's an interesting way to introduce mm-hmm. a concept. Um, and then they have this last conversation between Lama Su and Nalase when they're talking about Crosshair's chip, they say the chip augmentation was a success. Um, so now we've set up Crosshair as sort of um, maybe not acting within his own uh, will. Yeah. Maybe. There is a question there. Yeah. It is fully a question. It is not a, um, uh, yeah, it is not a known thing. No. And again, I like that in in le- legitimately the 11th hour of this episode, it is presenting us with questions to bring us forward, right? Mm-hmm. There is incentive to keep watching. Um and and it's these really interesting questions, I would say. I don't think before we've had this sort of understanding of, like, a, a question of, like, is this person in their full capacity? You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, are they responsible for their actions? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what is, you know, something like this? Like, what is Lama Sue up to? There's, like, uh, an interesting... There's an an intrigue. Um, Yeah, there's like intrigue going in the background. There's a lot of almost like an espionage element to Mm -hmm. it like that. Um, I don't know. I just think they do such a good job with, like, this episode is... I mean, we've watched it so many times now, but like it is long and it does so much setup and it does it in a really incredible way. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you want to talk about the last, the very last scene? Oh, yes. Um, um, on the Marauder. Yes. So, you know, they, they get back on there. They're leaving. They're in space, right? They are fixing up Wrecker. Uh, again, we have a moment of levity, a moment mm-hmm. of like brotherhood, which I think is like just such a sweet way to leave the episode off. Like I like that they didn't leave it on a super, super sad note. Right. Um, Cause w- while that would have been intriguing if they had just left on the batch leaving yeah. and crosshair standing there, um, 
it would have been like a, there would have been a curiosity to it but i think that this last scene really scene really um like cements who these characters are and um really does give us a uh i'm excited to see the next part of this because um they they're like where do we go from here um and they realize that they have a contact um and they make to head for that contact yeah it does it it, it once again and the music here is also really great it becomes hopeful again it is this Mm -hmm. really sweet music um and I love that we get to hear this like play over, you know, Omega taking a, a front seat and being able mm-hmm. to to jump into hyperspace. And I love that we see it in her eyes. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, the twinkling that is uh, it's so regular to us now. Right. But it is like astonishing to her. And like it is it's so nice to be able to like see a new view of this world. Like we talked about at the beginning. Right. Yeah. Um, we're, we're seeing everything that is so usual to us in such a special way because it's like so unusual to this character and we get to see you know omega grow and we get to be you know there with her we get to see a lot of these like moments that we as star wars fans have seen a thousand times or 66 jumping to hyperspace from from new angles that are um very fresh and sweet it feels so nice it feels like such a treat to be able to i mean it's like we get to see everything that we love we get to like Uh, understand this universe that we love that we've all grown to love in a new way and i think like having those new experiences is like such a i don't know it's a treat you know um i also really like that at the end of this episode it does it it once again kind of has a way of bringing that like heartwarming nature that we saw at the beginning of like oh this is like kind of like the clone wars that you know Mm -hmm. like welcome back like i think there's such a is always a really vivid emotion to me at the end of this episode like watching Omega like watch them jump into hyperspace of like there is sort of like a a feeling of home there and a feeling of like heartwarming and like you know like we said it's something that we have seen for so long jumping into hyperspace and like it has such a a meaningful connotation because it's something that like defined our experience going watching through Clone Wars right um I don't know it's just so sweet to like end on that note again It, yeah, it gives you like um, a hope for for the next parts of this series. You know, it's not just like, okay, well, that's sad. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I do honestly think, and like from a a very practical standpoint, mm-hmm. like I I don't think that you want to end your pilot mm-hmm. on a on a sad note because I don't think it encourages viewership. No, yeah, um, it feels like weirdly final. It does. I like that it, they gave the those emotions of sadness is like room to breathe for the most part. Like mm-hmm. I think, right. Because like after they leave, we get that scene with Lamasu and Nalase, right. We get just kind of like a little bit of buffer before we get levity again. And mm-hmm. like, it is really nice to like have these like natural sort of like swells of emotion. And then also like ultimately end on a hopeful note. All right, that is, <laughs> that's all for part one. Thank you so much for listening. You can pick back up with us for character and theme analysis in part two. Bye. Bye. <laughs>